0: Alright, so this morning we're continuing our series, um, Upon This Rock. Um, the title of today's message is, Known by Love. Known by Love. I, I find it interesting that, um, well, let me, let me say it differently. I find it amazing that the Holy Spirit knows what He wants to say to the church. He, he really does. Um, and I say that not, not because I think it's uh, just a funny thing to say. I say that because I'm truly convinced the Holy Spirit knows what he's doing. Amen. God knows what he's doing. And so God led us into this series. Uh, my wife and I were discussing before my retreat and she said, I said, you know, hey, I can do one of two things for you. I can, tell you what to say. Like I can give you a topic kind of thing, or I can just let, just, you just let it fly. You just pick something, something based on the church. She's a pastor's kid. She's been in ministry. She knows all about the church, loves the church dearly. So there's no shortage of ammunition. And she's like, well, there's so many things I would want to, why don't you just narrow it down for me? Well, when I did that, because I had that in my mind to speak on, then God developed a message from her message further in that same chapter. And then I highlighted something last week, which became this week's message, um, because I really want to focus the last few messages of the series on our mission as a church. And sometimes you walk into the church to this church specifically, and you may not even pay attention, but there are giant like two-foot uh vinyl letters above your head when you walk in that door. And it's on that little blue header above the Connection Center. And it's the mission statements for our church. It involves us loving all. It involves us impacting our world for Jesus, for Christ, for his kingdom. And it involves us growing together. And that's not just numbers-wise. That's not just having more seats or more people to fill the seats. That is growing together. Julie should be further along in her faith this year than she was last year as a result not just of her personal relationship with Jesus, but because of her connection to the body of Christ. The same thing should be true of Andrew and me and Katie and everybody in between. All of us should be growing together in some way, shape, or form. And so I really want to dedicate, at least this message, is going to be about that loving all, that primary statement. And uh, I came up with this title, Known by Love, because it's scriptural. Uh, before we jump into the text for the day, and if you want to, you can go to John uh, John chapter 13 and just put your fingers there, or hold your place there. Uh, we'll get there in a minute. Before we jump into the text, though, I want to make sure that you understand what the word church means. It's our English translation of a Greek word or a Greek term called ekklesia. Ekklesia, really in the Greek, means this. It means assembly, it means congregation, or it means meeting. And you can find similar terms like this in the Old Testament as well. Uh, So when Jesus says in Matthew chapter 16 that he will build his church... It was not a foreign concept to those people. They were not imagining a church with a steeple and stained glass windows in that moment of cultural time or history. They were understanding that Jesus was saying he was going to build a living organism. Amen? I find it very interesting that in the New Testament, as you study in the Word of God, if you were to look up the word church in the New Testament you would come to find that there is not a single mention of four walls, carpet, air conditioner, heating in a place that we call the church. When I tell my wife, she says, I'm leaving the house. She says, where are you going? I'm going to the church. Well, I'm going to the place that the church meets. But according to God's word, the church is you. It's not these four walls. It's not this location. In fact, God forbid, if the building were to burn down today, tomorrow, Celebrate Church would still stand. Because it's you. It's not this place with metal and lights and framework. It is you that Christ has been building. And he wants to grow it even more. Amen? So I, I wanted to clarify this for us so that we understand that the church is not the building Now i'm not going to fault you or you know holler at anybody if they say i'm going to the church I'll still tell my wife probably every day this week. Where are you going? I'm going to the church I'm, just trying to help us set our mind in the right direction to understand that we are the church we are the church. Amen so um each week of the series, we've been connecting the dots in Scripture about the purpose of the church and its role in the world. And uh, I've mentioned this before, but I'll, I'll say it again. And at some point, maybe we'll do a series on these. There are more than 30 phrases in the New Testament alone that include the word, one another. Be kind to one another. Ooh, there's one that we don't like, Bear with one another. Who do you have to bear with? People that you don't wish you had to bear with. <laughs> okay, that's the whole point of it. Like deal with and put up with and walk with and struggle with, but love still. So there's a lot of one another's in scripture and the most primary, the basic of all of those um, is the idea that we are to love one another. What I find really interesting is that these one another's, not a single one is mentioned as an option or a recommendation or a suggestion. Every one of those statements, and you can just type that phrase into your Bible search or you can look in the the pages of the New Testament. One another, every single one of those instances is a declarative sentence. Bo, how do you like English class at CCA? Is it your favorite? It's not your favorite. Okay. So, does anybody in here that's not a teacher remember what a declarative sentence is? What's a declarative sentence? Oh, Bo's raising his hand. Do you remember? Okay, what is it? It's when you're giving when you're saying something that you think is true. Yeah, it's, you're declaring this thing, right? Okay, good job. Okay, if you were in Miss B's class, she'd give you an A, okay? Okay. a declarative sentence is is just straightforward. It's just a sentence with a period at the end. You've declared something and you've made it known. Every single one of these one another's is just like that. Be kind to one another. Period. Done. <laughs> now start doing it. That's the hard part, right? So we're going to look today at the command of love one another, but we want to make sure that we understand it's not a suggestion, but it is a command. Um, The phrase is found in John chapter 13, verse 34 and 35. The context of this is is that Jesus has just washed the disciples' feet. Now, I know my wife's hygiene habits, and I love her, and she has great hygiene. I'd be willing to bet any amount of money that today I could have her pull her boots off right here, right now, and I could probably kiss her feet. They probably smell fresh. The tops, at least. I don't know about the bottoms, okay? So, yeah, she, she's she got a trick. She'll tell you ladies about that. But um, here's, here's what I'm going to tell you, though, about my wife's feet. There have been times where they've been dirty. Actually, we talk about this with our kids. They'll come in summer, you know, they're outside, on the patio, trampoline, all that. They come in and they have what we call summer feet, right? Okay, the bottoms of their feet look like grocery store feet, y'all. There's some some phrases that y'all have heard from time to time, okay? Imagine, if you will, 12 men, 13, including Jesus, walking through town. In those days, sewage involved you taking your stuff and pouring it out somewhere, if you even collected it. It involved dirty streets. It involved a lack of hygiene. It involved lots of dust. It involved all of these things. You you have animals walking down the street. If you've ever been on a farm or you've ever seen even a horse like a a riding uh, police officer, they just go where they go. (laughs) And then all of a sudden there's just a pile of stuff. Jesus got down on his knee and washed the disciples' feet. In an act of love and service to them. So this is what the picture is in John chapter 13 that we're about to read. And in verse 34, he says this. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. And I could just hear Peter's thoughts going, ain't no way I'm washing Thomas's feet after this, Jesus. I've seen those mugs. So here, the idea is Jesus is saying, do like I do. I have loved you like this. Somebody, there's spiritual truth here right now for you. As dirty as you are, God loves you anyway. His love is not conditional based on your amount of sin or goodness. He loves you. The Bible says, declares, that He loved us while we were yet sinners. That He came and died for us. That's We didn't have to get dressed up and cleaned up and all that stuff. Jesus demonstrates His love and He says, Now just like I've demonstrated it to you, I want you to do this to one another. I want you to love one another. Verse 35 says this, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So I want us to think about these two verses for just a minute. Um, As a parent or a grandparent, um, you have authority over that child or that teenager in, in their life. So you can give them a command. The only person that is uh, able to give humanity on the whole scale, the general scale, commands, is the one who has authority over them and that is God himself so there's something really really awesome about this because we can see that the deity of Jesus is proved in his statement of saying to them love one another and do it as I've loved you he's declaring in that moment that if they are to obey they are obeying God they're instructed to love one another as Jesus loved them. And I don't think they really fully understood the depth of Christ's love for them in that moment. At least there are moments even after the crucifixion that they are still coming to terms with belief in Jesus. So they, they really don't have this concept down. None of us really fully grasp The love of God the Father that he bestowed upon us by sending his son to die for us. But the proof of God's dominion in your life as a believer, the evidence that God is your God, that you serve Jesus Christ, is that you have love one for another. It's proving your identity I know there's a lot of weird stuff being talked about in the world today. You can choose whatever identity you want. You can identify as this, identify as that. Listen, we are welcoming and accepting bunch here at this church, but if you came dressed like a cat and meowed, we'd we'd have to talk, okay? Uh we, we're gonna have to work on something there, okay? You can't just claim an identity, you have to prove you have that identity. When I've been stopped by a police officer, which doesn't happen often. But when I have been stopped, what do they ask you? They ask you for your identification. Now, they don't ask it for you from you in the voting booth. But that's another story for a different message. Okay, Your identity means something. The identity of the church means something. And God said, if you want to prove that you are mine, the way you do that, this is my paraphrase, the way that we do that and demonstrate it is that we love one another. I've heard and I've said some stupid things in my life. Maybe you've heard a phrase like this, similar to this. Well, I love them, but I don't have to like them. Don't nudge your neighbor, okay? I love them, but I don't have to like them. Listen, I have a problem with that statement. Real love as Jesus defined it through his life, through the words he spoke, through the deeds that he did, real love ends up having like inside of it. It means that you're willing to do anything for that person on behalf of that person. And this is proof in Jesus' life, amen? It's proved in his life. So when Jesus says in those two verses, this is so rich, when he says, all people will know that you're my disciple, that means that the disciples themselves would be convinced of the truth, but it would also mean that the religious group down the street that was angry about Jesus being there and doing what he was doing, it means that they would recognize that they serve Jesus. It means that the people who were the outcasts, those people called Samaritans, they would understand these people follow Jesus because they see their love one for another. I think, I think, if there was ordained by God and the Holy Spirit empowered it, a letter to the American church, like letters are written to the seven churches in Revelation, I believe with all of my heart that one of those main primary points would be about loving one another. I truly do. There's so much division and strife. And here's the problem. What ends up happening is the church ends up looking just as bad as the world instead of looking set apart. And so we really are to be known by love to those not just immediately in our circle, but to everyone around us. Um, I want to ask you this, and this is going to play out throughout the message. I want to ask you in a moment of complete sincerity and honesty today. I want to ask you just vulnerably. We're not going to ask you the details. I want you to lift your hand if this applies to you. If you've ever been hurt or affected by hurt within the body of Christ. Almost every hand. Had that hurt not happened, there would be a demonstration of love. Maybe there's been reconciliation. Maybe there's not. Maybe there's just distance. But today, what I what I really feel the Holy Spirit wanting to do is help us understand what Jesus' love looked like and then how we can model that love. But I really do think, here's another stupid thing people say, time heals all wounds. No, it doesn't. Can I get an amen from somebody who understands? No, it doesn't. Time doesn't heal all wounds. You know what heals wounds? God. Hard work, soul work, that involves forgiveness, love, kindness. It involves me thinking of that scenario, having that thought in my head again, and saying, no, I'm not going to embrace anger, resentment, bitterness. Jesus, would you help me today? Lord, put my mind in the right place. Help me think about whatever's good, lovely, pure, holy, That's the kind of work that's required in order to get over something. It's not just that it was 10 years ago and that it's over and done with. It's that every once in a while, it still creeps up. And forgiveness is necessary in our lives if we are to say that we're identified by love. How many of you are married? Okay, there's a lot of us. Forgiveness is necessary. (laughs) What? Half of one couple raised the hand and the other half didn't, so I don't know. They're going to have a bigger conversation at home today. Um, yes, yes, you're married, okay? <laughs> They're married so long, not sure. Should I raise my hand, honey? Am I supposed to raise my hand right here? Within the confines or the context of love, forgiveness is necessary. But I think that we don't understand what love is because we stopped studying the Bible on love and we started listening to stupidity that's being put out by Hollywood and entertainment and news saying that love means acceptance. It doesn't. My wife does not accept if I don't choose to shower for five days. She she'll love me enough to tell me, Honey, you stank. You need to go get a shower. I've never done that in my life. My hygiene's on point just like hers, okay? But I'm just saying she would, she would have to say something. Here's, here's what I want you to understand and grasp today. Love is not blind acceptance and approval. It's not. Because if that was what love was, you would have no need to change when you became a Christian because God would take you just as you are and keep you just as you are. But you know what? You're dirty. You're rotten. You're filthy. You're no good. You say, Pastor, wow. Yeah, I am too. (laughs) We didn't deserve this love that he shows us and demonstrated to us. I can walk on that right path the best I can, but I'm still not earning my keep when it comes to his love. He loves me because he chose to love me. My wife loves me even if I haven't showered today. She chooses to love me. We're to be known by love, and I think that involves forgiveness. It involves a lot of different things. But I guess the point that I'm trying to get you to understand is don't trust the world's opinion of what love is because it's misguided it's jaded it is not healthy it's not good it's not right it's not holy many people have a bad taste in their mouths because of the infighting and the division that has happened in churches all over the world it's not just an american problem it's all over it's marred the image of the body of christ it's um, Have you seen those nut jobs throwing paint at like famous art in art galleries? You know, they're just walking in. They say that's a protest. I don't, uh, whatever. Here's what I'm telling you. (laughs) They've marred the image. They've caused irreparable harm to the image. They'll have to pay hundreds, maybe not them, but somebody. will have to pay thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars to restore pieces of art that have been around for a thousand years or something crazy. The image of the beautiful body of Christ that God's designed and wants the world to see has had paint thrown at it and it's been marred. But I believe there's hope. The marring has happened to that image because of a lack of true, authentic, godly love. The other day, my wife and I were uh, discussing an issue that our family is dealing with. If you're not married, marry someone who's wise. Amen? Amen. Because I married a wise woman. She said something along these lines. We tend to forget all the good done to us, but we easily or always remember the bad. You can do good, 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 good. You mess up, and that's a big marker that just bright highlight in the mind of that person, whoever's affected by it. It's true. So the world has changed, the church has changed the world for good, for better. Not just in spiritual sense, not just in preaching the gospel and evangelizing the lost and going to unreached people groups. And I saw an image the other day, it was an article um, in a magazine uh, with these shining native People with their shining faces, smiling ear to ear. They had just, listen to me, they had just this very month received the first copy of God's word in their language. It is the year 2024. We're still making an impact in the world. It's a great thing that they now have God's word in their language. And I'm thankful for it. But the idea of bad things happening and the mega church pastor or the division in the local church or the small town that's affected by the corruption or whatever that happens, whatever your situation is that you think of, when you think of those things, I want you to understand that is not the body of Christ that God wants us to be. It's not okay that they hurt you. And when I forgive them, it isn't me saying it's okay. There's so much rich material here today. I'm telling you because when I say this, we've been teaching our kids this from a young age. When when Susie is playing with Madeline, and she doesn't know Susie, so I'm just going to use a Susie. When Susie's playing with Madeline, and we walk away, and she just hauls off and slaps her and grabs the toy... When she is made to apologize, cause she's a dirty, rotten little Susie, okay? When she's made to apologize, Madeline, when she was very little, we started telling her, you never reply by saying, it's okay. No, it's not. It's not okay that you hurt me. It's not okay that you let your intrusive thought win. <laughs> it's not okay. Here's what you say, I forgive you. Well, what if I don't forgive them? If you say it, it might help it come to life. No, I'm serious. I'm serious. You say, well, pastor, that sounds like self-help books and whatever. I'm telling you, the power of life and death are in your tongue. Well, you don't know how they hurt me. Well, let me swap stories with you. (laughs) We could swap some stories around here. Almost every hand in this room went up. But we forget the good that's been done. And the image has been marred. So the corruption, the theft, the abuse by a pastor, it's easily remembered. The major split that occurred in a local church that affected dozens, if not hundreds, of people in some cases is quickly called to mind by people who've never even visited that church. They just know Susie. I hope nobody in here is named Susie, okay? I'm sorry about that. I just picked it for today. But the destructive backbiting and gossip which makes if I could say it like this, makes God sick to his stomach. It stinks in the nostrils of God. That backbiting and gossip, it can destroy a church and it won't be forgotten easily. It's brought to mind every single time. I'll give you a glimpse at the hurt that I've experienced in, in my life, in my ministry. It won't be a long story. Some of you have heard this story before. In Hawaii, we pastored um, and I was telling them in starting point this morning, if you got an experience boot camp of any sort, you know, for your life or career, uh, might as well do it in Hawaii. <laughs> it was awesome. I mean, it was awesome until it was not awesome. Um, and uh, there's some devastating things that took place and some real trauma that could have caused us to say, you know what? We're done with ministry for good. I'll, I'll go do something else. I couldn't because I'm convinced that the Lord called me to ministry. And that, that alone is the one thought that kept me focused and centered in the in-between. But there's a person who was in that church who was instrumental in all of the hurt. And he drove a little Ford Ranger pickup. Nothing to write home about, just a little Ford Ranger. I began to have self-diagnosed panic attacks. When I would see that Ford Ranger pull into the church parking lot. I'd look out my window and I'd, oh, he's here again. Going to chew me out for something. Tell me something's not right. He's going to do this, do that. I got to the place where it it was so nerve wracking. And we lived on an island, y'all. Okay. You're going to bump into people. I would see a Ford Ranger. Same color, make, model, and I would just immediately be anxious. I'd think, well, maybe I don't need to go to the grocery store today. I'll just do that tomorrow. It it got to the place where it crippled me. It got to the place where, and you say, well, pastor, you just needed some mental assistance. No, I'm telling you, there was some spiritual assistance that was needed. Because when I relocated to Mississippi and saw Ford Ranger, all of a sudden I'd have anger rise in my heart just like that. I know good and well he didn't ship that Ford Ranger here. He's not in it. He's not driving in Clinton, Mississippi. But I still had that moment of... (sighs) You say, well, pastor, you're just weak. No, you've done it too. (laughs) Something even smaller, bigger, maybe possibly a lot larger. There's this one marker that just kind of... Here's the light. Every time we come to moments like that, we have an opportunity for health and healing. Amen? Sadly, the modern church, especially here in America, but definitely around the world, has been wounded by self-inflicted injuries. More so than any other type of injury. She's not been persecuted yet to the point of really having to give up very much. The injuries that she, when I talk about the body of Christ, I'm calling it in feminine terms. The Injuries that she's experienced are self-inflicted. And this is a tragedy. Because according to what Jesus just said in John chapter 13, we're to be known by our love, not for the sharpness of our swords. This should not be. In fact, I would say this, there are some aspects of the body of Christ, some places, localities that have endured even self-amputation. Cutting off people from the body of Christ that needed love, but cut them off. Or maybe you cut yourself off from that bad situation. We can't get into that whole thing. I could start a series about the mental health of church splits and division and all that. What I want you to understand today is that God wants you to be free, He wants you to live in freedom. I'll never forget. Here's, Here's what's cool about that Ford Ranger. I don't remember the moment that I saw the next one and it didn't happen. But I remember the work that the Holy Spirit did in me as I got further away from that situation. And I continued to dedicate myself to saying, I'm I'm not going to be nervous, not just because I'm not on the island, but I'm not going to be nervous or anxious about this. God, help me to forgive him. Lord, would would you bless him today? Would you help his family be healthy? When I stopped focusing on myself and focusing in that direction, God radically changed something inside of me and set me free. And I thank him for it. Amen? He wants to do the same thing for you, for the hurt that you've experienced in whatever it is, the scenario that you're thinking of. The church is in need of help. Our church, every church, every church is in need of help. And now more than ever, I think the church needs healing in order to grow strong. In order to grow strong and be the church that Jesus wants us to be. The great news is this. There's a 100% recovery rate for those self-inflicted injuries and all the other things. A 100% recovery rate for those who are willing to obey the command of Jesus to love one another. I am not a, a counselor. I'm not a mental health professional. I don't espouse to be. I'm not going to give you 10 different things based on psychology today. But I, what I will say is this. I want you to take your health journey, your spiritual health journey, serious. I'm not telling you to get done with lunch and make a phone call to Sister Susie, Sister Betty, whatever, and try to make amends. I'm not telling you any of those things today. I trust that the Holy Spirit will help you. And if you need counseling, I'd be more than happy to help you work through some of those things or point you in the right direction. But I'm telling you, instead of us worrying about Susie, instead of me worrying about the guy who drove that Ford Ranger, I had to worry about me. And we have an awesome, awesome ministry that's developing and growing. It's in a small stage, but it's growing, called Celebrate Recovery here in our church, um, that supports that same sentiment, that same ideology, that you and Jesus together are a powerhouse of a team. Amen? And that you can get through this, and you can walk the road of healing. It will take mental work, spiritual work, maybe even physical work, life work, but it will so be worth it in the end. Amen. Amen. If the pastor who committed sins of immorality or impropriety had loved his sheep as Jesus loved the church, we wouldn't be in that position. If the board members of that local church hadn't chewed up and spit out every pastor that came knocking on their door over the last 10 years, they wouldn't be in that position. If Sister Susie or Brother Bobby... Hadn't gossiped and stirred up strife against others in the body of Christ, you wouldn't be in that position. But here we are, and there's hope. There is hope, there is hope, there is hope. Because if we love one another as we do so, it may be hard, messy, ugly, not perfect as we begin, but as we strive to love one another, God will do, by His Holy Spirit, a work that you cannot do alone. Amen? Amen. In 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul dedicates a large portion of his letter to spiritual gifts. Uh, Turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Uh, We read this passage of Scripture at a lot of weddings. I've been to dozens of weddings. I've officiated many myself. Um, At some point, someone has a reading, and it's from 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Love is patient. Love is kind. Here's the context, though, of what's really happening. That's not to say that those things are not true in romantic love. But what's happening in chapter 11, 12, 13, 14, in that section of his letter, is he's talking about spiritual gifts. And here's something that you should listen and pay attention to. He's saying to the church, you've been focused on who's got what when it comes to spiritual gifts. Oh, well, that's Dan. Dan's got the gifts of prophecy. He's got that spiritual gift. There was this weird pride that was rising up and there was division in the body as a result of separation when it comes to these things. And Paul is correcting them and he says, whoa, 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 whoa. You can be Dan the prophet all you want, but if you don't have love for one another, you you don't have anything. You ain't got nothing. So here he says this. In verse four, love is patient and kind. It does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant. It's not rude. It does not insist on its own way. Y'all, some of, some of you are feeling darts. <clears throat> it's from the word of God. It's not me. Okay. It is not irritable. I'm always irritable. (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. Uh, It's not irritable. Love is not irritable. That means it's not easily irritated. I'm just going to stay there for a second. Not easily irritated. It's not resentful. It doesn't rejoice... In wrongdoing or at wrongdoing. But it rejoices in the truth. There's this uh, misunderstanding in the world today. That churches... There's some crazy stuff being spoken from places just like this. Every weekend around America. I saw a video of something just radically satanic. I'm going to call it what it was. Um... As she, this woman, spoke about uh, God having pronouns they. And just did some crazy, crazy things. There's this idea in the world today that if you're in the church, you're to love everyone. And that means you're to accept everyone just where they are. And that is not okay. Because truth is truth. And the truth that's based in the Word of God is what we should base our lives on. And here it is, this combination of speaking the truth. And there's another phrase that shows up in Scripture. It says, speaking the truth in love. It says, don't withhold the truth. Speak the truth, but do it lovingly. Do it because you treasure The other person. Do it because you want them better. Do it because you actually have a stake. You have something invested in them. Don't just spout it with a board on the corner of a street. But actually do it. Love one another. So love doesn't rejoice at wrongdoing. It rejoices with the truth. And it says this in verse 7. It bears all things. Amy. If I didn't shower for the next five days... It says that love bears all things. (laughs) From a distance, she said. From a distance. (laughs) Believes all things. Love believes all things. It hopes all things. It endures all things. This is what true, authentic love... It's not just romantically based love. That image, I want you to wipe it from your head for this message. And understand, Paul is saying this to the church... That love bears all things, believes all things, hopes. It's full of all of these good things. It will last forever. It will never end. Faith, hope, and love, but the primary of all of those, and the issuing point, the origin point, is love. So Jesus faithfully and he, he perfectly practiced what he preached. Aren't you glad that you serve a God that keeps his word So let's consider how Jesus loved. Loved, past tense, still does today. Loves. Let's consider that. I'm going to give you three things today. Number one is this. Jesus' love was sacrificial. I think your biggest mistake sitting here today in this room hearing this message is to immediately close the door and write something off and say, yeah, Jesus' love was sacrificial. My love for my spouse is sacrificial. I don't need to listen to this part. Don't do that. Because I doubt that you've sacrificed like Jesus has. But he's calling us to a sacrificial type of love. This isn't a love to find out what I can get out of it. This is a love to see what I can give into it or put into it. John chapter 15 verse 13 says this, greater love has no one than this that they lay down their life for their friends. Jesus proved his love by hanging on a cross. You can't forget that Jesus was in a human body he, he was enduring this pain. There wasn't like magic painkiller IV drip to Jesus for him to absolve his physical pain. He, as a physical body here on the earth, felt every bit of that excruciating pain. This was not easy. In fact, you can hear it in his prayer in the garden the night before. When he says, you know, Dad, if there's any, any other way to do this, I'm all ears. But Hebrews says that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, even embracing its shame. Look at what John 3.16 says. God so loved the world that he gave, he sacrificed, he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 2 says this. Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross and disregarded the shame. The, the word despising there, it really means saying to yourself, not caring anyway. So he he literally, he knew it was going to be shameful and he said, I'll do it anyway. <laughs> and he's seated at the right hand of the throne of God. 1 John chapter 3, verse 16 through 18 says this, by this we know, love, that he laid down his life for us. And we we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers, for the sisters, for the family of God. Lay down my life? Pastor, we just attended starting point. I know you said you got to be a committed member, but I didn't know I was going to sign my death warrant. Lay down your life. For those who are in the body of Christ with you. Look at what verse 17 says. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? John says, little children, let us not love just with empty words or talk and speech. But let's do it in deed and in truth. It is funny in that selection of verses I have. There are many other ways that Jesus' love was sacrificial, but just in that, those few that I pulled together. It talks about laying down your life, and it also talks about your finances. Verse 17, it says, If anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, but closes his heart against him, If you know what's good to do, and it's in your power to do it, and you refuse to do it, that's not love. Jesus sacrificed himself on our behalf. Amen? And that's real love. So, I'm not asking you to lay down your life for me. Not today. That was supposed to be funny. Funnier than you made it. But how do I lay down my life? I lay it down through the sacrifice of my time, my talent, my finance. I I lay it down with those things that are important to me. I put them to the side. And I say, okay, I sacrifice these things so that I can do this. That's what it looks like to love one another. Amen? So you might be called to sacrifice something. Maybe the Holy Spirit puts his finger on that in your heart today. Maybe it's your preference of things a certain way. Maybe it's your desire, your need, your time. Uh, Maybe it is financially. Maybe it's your skill. But I know this, that Jesus calls for us to give him our whole life. And not only him, but us to give our lives for the sake of the kingdom. The second point is this, Jesus' love was selfless. Love in its purest form is selfless. Jesus is the ultimate example of many things, but he's definitely the ultimate example of this, of selflessness. In coming into the world, the Bible says in uh, Philippians chapter 2, verse 6 and 7, it says this, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. If you were to grasp something, you're holding on to it. It's saying here to us, and Paul wrote this to the Philippians to encourage them and help them understand this truth, that Jesus didn't hold on to it and say, no, 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 I don't want, no, I don't want to. He willingly, he willingly (laughs) stepped out of heaven to come to this dirt heap to save you and to save me. Thank God he did. Verse seven says this, he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. So as followers of Christ, according to Philippians chapter two, verse five, uh, Paul encourages them and tells them and says, have the same mind be in you. Have that same action and attitude in your mind. Let that, the mindset of Jesus, be your possession. Because he came not for his own benefit. He came for you. That's selfless. How many of you have ever experienced a moment, you might not recall exactly, but you say, I think I've experienced that before. You've experienced a moment of selfless love. Husbands and wives, you better raise your hand if they're next to you. Okay, <laughs> y'all talk about it later. Um, selfless love—it's a miracle maker. It—it it is awesome when you experience that, and when there's no requirement um, of the recipient. It's just you giving something to them. No—no no strings attached. No anything else. Just completely selfless. That's what Jesus did for us. And it says there in Philippians 2 that he took on the form of a servant. God himself transformed into the lowliest of his creation, into humanity. So he, he came in the form of a servant, which tells me that selfless love means servanthood. means it requires me to be a servant. Mark chapter 10 Verse 45 says this, The Son of Man came not to be served but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. So, humanly speaking, Jesus gave up His will for the sake, His His natural human will for the sake of God's will when He was praying prayers like that in the garden saying, if there's any other way to go about this, you, I'm all ears. But He forsook or gave that up In order to follow and obey his father. There's another important lesson here. Selflessness involves more than putting other people first. It involves putting God first. That's what really is selfless about love. When you say, oh I've got these commitments I'd like to maintain. But I want to be faithful to church. But I really need to grow in my relationship with Jesus. And you're you're putting God in that top priority spot instead of anything else. That's the demonstration of what selflessness really is. Because that's what Jesus did to show his selflessness. Was to say, you know what? The pain that I'm about to endure, I'll take it. That's what you want, I'll do it. He was selfless in that regard. It's illustrated in the passage on the Good Samaritan. If you read that passage at your own time this week... You're probably mostly familiar with it. Luke chapter 10. It it talks about the Good Samaritan. It says that religious leaders passed this guy by. It says all these other types of people. And then, and then, there was a selfless individual who bandaged the wounds of that wounded man. Who took him and paid for his hospital bill, if you want to call it that, paid for his healing and recovery, who selflessly gave. That's the image that we should be to the world because we do that for each other and for the world. The third thing is this Jesus' love was centered on service, it was centered on service. He never placed himself in a position above others. He led by serving. I don't know how much lower you can go besides getting on your knees in front of 12 other guys and washing their dirty toes. Like that is that is servanthood. He wasn't getting paid for that job. You'd have to pay me a lot of money. Okay. He wasn't getting paid for that. He was doing it because his life was centered on service. Service to a higher calling, a higher purpose. Service to his father. And that's what we should look like to the world. That we are focused and centered on serving. I love our church t-shirts. We really need to get more printed. Here to serve. I love that. Yeah. Christine's modeled it for us today. Here to serve. Okay. Um, I didn't, we didn't plan that. But it was, his life was based on service and his love really find his, finds its center based on serving others. He washed dirty feet. He fed thousands of people. He walked miles and miles to visit and heal the sick. He spent time with those no one else cared about. He was a true servant. And he is our model. He's the image that we should be being transformed into. So he lived a life of service. And the only way that you can truly, authentically live a life of service is if you live a life of humility. In fact, there's scriptural encouragement to not think too highly of yourself. You say, well, pastor, no, I struggle with self-image stuff. No, listen... All of us think way too highly of ourselves. How do I stop that? How do I, I I focus on God's word? I I realize I am who He says I am. Amen. That I have what He says I have. That He'll do what He's promised to do. Paul put it in this way in Philippians chapter two, verse three. He says this about you know Jesus' great life of humility and service. He's encouraging the Philippians to do this as well. And he says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Or which was also in Christ Jesus. Doing nothing from selfish ambition Or conceit. So not what you can gain. But what can you give. That's what love is. That's what biblical love is. That's what authentic godly love is. But it always involves humility. Because it says there in Philippians 2. In verse 3. In humility. Consider others better. Greater. More important. More significant. Than yourself. This will help our culture today is dealing with something that we call entitlement. They're feeling very entitled. And it's not just this generation. It's not just this generation that needs help. It's the generation that raised this generation. That somehow caused these people to get to the place of feeling entitled. Like I'm owed this. I deserve better. Do you? I don't deserve anything better than the cross with me hanging on it. That's truly what I deserve. But aren't you glad? Aren't you glad that Jesus' love was centered on service? So, our churches love for one another. It's got to be modeled after Jesus. Sacrificial, it's got to be selfless, and it's got to be centered on service. We close our service with an encore of worship each week, and it's a time for us to connect with the Lord. I encourage you to do that. Don't, don't try to make your lunch plan in your head or think about the other details of your day. The Holy Spirit has you as a captive audience today. And chances are he's spoken already to you about something regarding this message and something having to do with either church hurt, something like that. Uh, Or maybe it's the encouragement of, you know what? If Jesus' love was selfless and sacrificial and centered on service, but I'm lacking in one of those areas. Maybe the Holy Spirit's doing that in your heart. It doesn't matter how old you are or how young you are. It doesn't matter if you've signed a membership covenant yet with the church or not. The idea of Jesus saying to his disciples then, and it still applies to us today, is that we are to love one another. And I can tell you, even in your beautiful life, your love for one another is not perfect, neither is mine. So if we would be transparent before the Lord in the presence of God today, and just own up to that in prayer say, God, I need your help to be able to love one another better. And if it's you today that you really are dealing with uh, hurt from the past, and I'm specifically talking about church hurt, you are hurt, you are offended. Uh, There was division, there's strife, tension, whatever it is. You say, well, I I haven't thought about that in years. But then today you're reminded of that scenario and your blood pressure went up and you all of a sudden had a feeling and thought of anger. I really believe God wants to set you free today from that. So close your eyes with me. Lord, I'm praying over Celebrate Church that we would be the healthiest we've ever been. We don't have to be the largest we've ever been, but by God, every person who calls this place home, we want them to be healthy believers who have forgiven as they've been forgiven. Lord, who it doesn't make it okay, but it makes them better to forgive. Lord, I pray that you would help us today to reach out to the throne of grace. Your word says to come boldly, To your throne of grace and to make our petition So God I pray today that you would Help those who have been hurt To be healed And Lord I pray for those of us who have felt The Spirit's calling in some area Of our life to improve And to demonstrate our love Lord I pray that you would Help us to make a commitment today In prayer if you need prayer For any reason we want you to step out right now And go see one of the prayer team Members and they'd love to pray with you as we sing This last song